0: Let's uh, let's open now for uh, a little moment of sharing and uh, just talk to us. How has God been shepherding you? How has He been moving in your life?
1: I always think Russ flinches when I do this, but <clears throat> so this is something that spoke to me. I don't know if it's theologically accurate, but uh, He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. So I'm not David. I don't have people coming after me with swords. But, but I've been aware somehow that in the church or <coughs> in our missions and ministries, we are um, believers together. We have the same king. But sometimes we don't get along. It reminds me of the Knights of the Round Table, that historical figure, Arthur, and the king, and how those knights at the round table didn't necessarily get along with each other, but they were enemies kind of sitting at the same table with their king, and all that mattered to them was serving their king, and in my life, mostly, you know, in one setting, I've had the sense of just not getting along with someone who, who, with people who are my partners in ministry, and so I think God has said to me, we're serving the same king. We're serving the same God. We're going to hang in there and um, love on each other and not pierce each other with swords. So I really I haven't quite worked it out how that goes. But I do feel like God keeps over and over speaking to me about that. And so I appreciated the preaching last week and all that.
0: Someone else, how's God been working and moving in you and your community?
2: Well, I feel like I've got to piggyback on that a little bit because I was just thinking about something like that. It's like, oh, I don't know if that feels like it's appropriate. But then she said that, it's like, oh, great. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm kind of part of a small group with an Episcopal group, like Episcopalians. If you guys know who those guys are, they have the cathedral up there. I worked with them for a couple of years at a summer camp. And during that time when I was at that summer camp, I had an opportunity to really let another denomination grow in my own heart. Because when I grow up, you know, kind of the, the cool thing to say was you're non-denominational. Non-denominational, and I thought about that. You know, I've thought about that in recent years, and thought, oh man, that's basically like saying I'm not part of those other groups. And what I've decided to start calling myself and said now is interdenominational—that I'm part of a group of people that I can I can feel at home in the Episcopal tr- Episcopal Church, at home in New Community. If the Presbyterians ask me, I could go to the Presbyterians. I can go to the Methodists. I could go to any of those churches and feel comfortable and be part of that community and say, yes, we are serving one King. We are all on the same side, and we are together. So I felt somewhat led to say that.
3: Hi there. Good morning. Um, My name is David. And one thing that uh, my wife and I decided to do uh, when we just started the Psalm 23 series was, I remember a book that I read about seven years ago, and it was way back in, My pile of books, and I had to look for it for about 20 minutes. But it's titled Psalm 23, and so I can't remember the author. But it's about 140 pages. I can't remember the author's name, but basically, it's written by a shepherd, somebody who was a shepherd for about 20 years in the Middle East. Um, He's about 60 or 70 years old right now. He shared basically, he's a Christian believer, but he's also a shepherd. So he shared a shepherd's perspective. And we're halfway through the book. We, my wife and I, we read about four or five pages. Um, each morning. And long story short, I've gotten a lot out of it because it goes verse by verse through it. But the overriding theme is is actually what Russ uh, briefly mentioned a week or two ago. It's about God and how protective he is. Really, really protective. Um, The second theme that I've noticed is how important it is for uh, a shepherd to know each sheep individually. Um, A lot of sheep the shepherd looks over, a lot of Christians and non-Christians that God looks over, and to know them each individually is very important if you're going to protect them. Some uh, Sometimes sheep get sick, and you, the shepherd has to know that. Sometimes the sheep get um, piled, in their, their fur gets loaded up with manure, and it gets loaded up with mud, and they actually become so top-heavy that they tip over and suffocate themselves and die, no joke, if the shepherd's not watching them. Um, sometimes you know that the, they have uh, certain diseases fleas etc so basically the shepherd has to study his own flock and he has to stay right on top of it otherwise these sheep just get picked apart either by wolves or disease or starvation or you know they fall over and die and suffocate themselves it's a, it's incredible so there's a lot i've learned about sheep but there's also a lot i learned about God too someone else
0: We've got time for about one more. We'll take two. (laughs) Last two.
4: I just had to share actually during worship. God reminded me of this verse that has been an incredible comfort to me as a mom. And now again as a new mom. Isaiah 40 verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, he will gently lead the nursing ewes. Hi, I'm Shelby. Um, I just wanted to share a way that God has kind of been shepherding me and my husband over the last year, um, it's just kind of starting to come to fruition, and I've been really blessed by it. Uh, So about a year ago, Rob was feeling, my husband Rob was feeling really led to start a small group, and I was feeling really busy, and I didn't think that that was a good idea. Um, And then he said, I think we should have a small group, and I think we should feed them every week. And I said, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Uh, And we did it anyway, and kind of trusted God through that. And as a part of that, I was in school to become a tax accountant, and I thought, this is an even more terrible idea, because pretty soon I'm going to be working 12-hour days. How am I ever going to feed anybody? And um, here it has come. This is my first tax season, and true to form, I'm working 12-hour days. And we have built this incredible community that is now feeding us instead of us feeding them tax season and um i've just been so touched by it in the way god has led us to step out and be brave and then you know this community comes around us and really takes care of us too and um if I, we hadn't been trusting in god and in his leadership and his shepherding of us you know we would have been alone in this time that's really really challenging so i just wanted to share that
0: Those are uh, just awesome stories of ways that God has been leading in our community. That last story makes me want to say something about why you should be in a small group, but I'll resist (laughs) and just move on. Um, This morning, we have uh, the privilege of having uh, a guest speaker, but not guest in the sense of someone away from here coming, but rather someone from our community sharing. And um, I could probably give him quite a lengthy intro. Uh, if you Google him, you would understand why. Like, if you Google me, here's what comes up. A baseball player. Yeah, not I don't play baseball, but some guy named Russ Davis plays in the pros. He's pretty good, I guess. And then if you, like, scroll a little further down, there's another Russ Davis. He's an African-American man, about 300 pounds. He plays offensive line. So it's not me either, <laughs> in case you're wondering. Um, so yeah, you're not going to find much, but um, if, you, if you Google uh, Scott Rodin, you're going to find uh, quite a bit. God has really been using him over uh, his lifetime, whether it's through uh, writing uh, many books or leading uh, Christian organizations or in consulting or you name it. Um, but what I've appreciated the most is getting to know him. And uh, and starting to develop a friendship and hearing his heart for uh, the church and for people. And uh, so a while back, we said, hey, as we wrap up this series, would you be willing to share this last verse? And, uh, And he was. And so this morning, we have Dr. Scott Rodin sharing with us. So welcome him with me as he comes.
5: Thank you, Russ. Are we on? Does that sound all right? All right, good morning. So it was in December that I was leaving the church, and Russ stopped me, and he said, we're doing this series on the 23rd Psalm. Would you bring one of the messages? And I said, absolutely. I mean, the 23rd Psalm filled with all these beautiful images, this, this great, rich theology and, and comfort and peace and awe, all these themes. So I went home, and he sent me an email, and he said, great, we'd like you to do the, the last of the four We'd like you to bring a message on verse 6. <laughs> I thought, verse 6? I was really disappointed. I have to share a little bit about why that's, that's the case. Um, I've always had a little bit of a challenge with verse 6 from the 23rd Psalm. To me, it was like, well, let's say that you were, you were sending an email a really passionate, important email, and you poured over every word of this email, and you just you exhausted yourself making sure it was exactly right, because it was a very important email. But you got to the end of it, and you couldn't, you couldn't just end it. So you had to come up with something else to say at the end. And so you say things like, gee, I hope our paths cross soon. Kiss the kids. Keep the faith. Have a good day. God bless you. Amen. Well, I kind of felt like David ran out of gas in the 23rd Psalm. That's just my own personal feeling. And he got to the end of this and thought, I can't just end it with, with you, know, um, you know, anoint your head with oil, your cup runneth over. And so he said, and so surely goodness and mercy will follow you all that is your life, and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, amen. <laughs> and Russ asked me to bring a message <laughs> on verse 6. So I have spent the last several weeks poring over this, and I must tell you, in my own journey, I've found some wonderful truths in these wonderful words. And I'm very excited to share with you what God's put on my heart as he took me back to the 23rd Psalm in verse 6 and said, Scott, look again, look again. You pray with me? Gracious Lord, we give you thanks today for the opportunity to get back into your word. I pray this morning, Lord, that We would clear from our hearts and our minds all the things that would distract us that we might truly hear you speak to us this morning afresh and anew. In Jesus' name, amen. So what about this sixth verse of the 23rd Psalm? Well, I guess one of the problems that I have with it is that David here says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, if... If God came to me, and see how you feel about this. If God came to me and said, Scott, I'm going to give you a blank piece of paper. And you can choose two things that will follow you all the days of your life. Folks, I wouldn't have chosen goodness and mercy. I have a lot of better things I would have chosen if you gave me that opportunity. Um, For instance, how about health and happiness? Surely health and happiness will follow you all the days of your life. How about greatness and prosperity will follow you all the days of your life? How about success and wealth will follow you all the days? Are we getting better? Huh? Not bad? We got one shot at this, folks. What about fame and fortune will follow you all the days of your life? Let's get real serious. How about sex and power will follow you all the days of your life? I mean, if God gives you one shot at this, go for it, right? Right? But goodness and mercy? We have a problem in our culture today with the idea of of goodness, of this idea of of good. um, Jim Collins wrote the book uh, Good to Great. You read it? One of his primary comments in there to business leaders is that good is the enemy of the great. If you want to be great, you have to set aside this idea of just being good. When we take tests, sometimes we see... Um, these ranges of our scores, we can rate things as poor, fair, good, very good, and excellent. Good oftentimes gets stuck as something that's just frankly pretty average. My wife is known to, as being a wonderful cook, and one of the things that she does is, one of the things she does is so good that you would drive across town to have it is her soups. She makes all kinds of wonderful soups. And every once in a while she'll try something brand new and she'll come up with some concoction and she'll hand it to me lovingly and give me a spoon. And if I take a bite of that new soup and she says, what do you think? And I say to her, well, it's good. What am I saying? It's not so great, right? It's not so great. She doesn't want to hear it's good. She wants to hear, wow, this is the best soup you've ever made. So we get stuck in this idea That good is just kind of average. And what about mercy? I mean, frankly, folks, mercy implies that I screwed up. Right? The only reason I need mercy is because I've done something wrong. Do I really want a daily reminder for the rest of my life that I've screwed up to follow me wherever I go? Goodness? Mercy? Well, one of the problems here when we look at this text, this sixth verse of of Psalm 23 is we must make sure that we don't see it, these words, in abstraction. We need to make sure that we don't define good and mercy in this sense detached from the one that gives them their meaning. It's not a general sense of goodness like we heard at Christmas when we were saying about Santa Claus, that we're supposed to be good for goodness sake, whatever that means, right? Or mercy in some kind of general sense of just being tolerant with one another. The world doesn't define for us these terms. You see, the actual way to interpret the 6th verse of the 23rd Psalm is this. Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And That's the key. It's who's modifying our understanding of these important words. There's a text from Mark chapter 10. When this man comes running up to Jesus... And he says this, Mark 10, 17 to 20. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Isn't that an odd response? But what Jesus is saying is don't use some culturally bound, abstract understanding of this concept of good and apply it to me. If you want to know what good is, there's only one place to find it, and that's in God alone. Amen? If I were to use the name Richard Burton, about 25% of us would all say, oh yeah, great actor, and the rest of you would say, Who? So don't think us dinosaurs, but there was a wonderful actor named Richard Burton back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and there's a story I want to share about him. that He he was born in in Wales, and late in his career, the little town in which he was born asked him if he would come back, and they could celebrate his life. So he made this trip back, and they put on this huge banquet for Richard Burton, this world-famous actor. And as they were getting ready for the evening, the man who was in charge of it was the pastor of the little local... And he asked him, he said, would you recite the 23rd Psalm? We'd just love to hear this from the Shakespearean actor. Richard Burton apparently said back to the pastor, yeah, I will, but on one condition, that when I'm done, that you will get up and read it as well. Well, the pastor thought that rather odd, but he wanted to have him do this, and so he agreed to it. Richard Burton gets up and in his beautiful British Shakespearean voice does the 23rd Psalm and the place just comes down. Everybody applauds and cheers at how incredible he was at, at, at speaking these words. And then he shared that he'd asked the pastor to do the same. So the pastor stands up and in his humble way reads the 23rd Psalm. And he looks across the room and you could hear a pin drop. And he noticed some of his prisoners were wiping tears from their eyes. And he couldn't understand why he got that response. After the event was over, he went to Mr. Burton and he said, thank you for doing this, but I don't quite understand what happened. And Richard Burton is reported to have said to him, well, that's the reason I wanted you to say this, because you see, I know the 23rd Psalm, but you know the shepherd. My friends... These words only take on life and meaning if we know the shepherd and hear them through him. So these are the four terms in this verse. Goodness, mercy, follow, and house of the Lord. And we're just going to take a couple moments and look at these. Let's begin with this idea of goodness, if we're going to let God define what good is, if that's the only place we're going to look for our one definition of understanding this concept of good, we have to go back to creation. So, a little theology here. I'm going to try to do this as animated as I can. Okay, a little theology this morning. I know you're dying to come here this morning. Here's some theology. So, let's jump into this. God looks down in Genesis one at what Bible describes as formlessness and void. Right. The Hebrew transliteration for that, by the way, is tohu wabohu. It's a great phrase. It means absolute nothing. It means godlessness, emptiness. And in the midst of this godlessness, this emptiness, God reaches down and he begins a process of choosing good and rejecting evil in the process of creating his creation. He chooses light over darkness. He puts form and function together in this earth. And every single time, God goes through an act of creation. He rejects the evil, the nothingness, the void, and he chooses what is good and what is right and what reflects him in his image until he has created a world that he looks down upon and says, this is good. This is really good. And he creates man and woman. He puts them in the garden. And he says, you reflect me. And the extent to which you reflect me in this, you are very good. You see, our very existence is brought about by a process of God continually rejecting in our lives what is evil and choosing for us what is good. And that continues all the way throughout Scripture. He didn't stop there. He continues to choose good, and he asks us simply to do one thing. He says, trust me. Trust me that in your life I have rejected for you what is evil and I've chosen for you what is good, and trust me day by day that I've made this choice for you. Adam and Eve chose otherwise, to know good and evil for themselves. And after the sin that that they brought into the world, God continues to say the same thing to his people. He He says to Abraham, Trust me that I have chosen the good when I ask you to go sacrifice your son Isaac. He says to Moses, trust me that I've chosen the good for you when I lead you to the edge of the the Red Sea with no place to escape. He says to David, trust me when I anoint you king and then I have Saul pursue you and try and kill you everywhere you go. He says to Daniel, trust me that even in the midst of your faithfulness I've chosen good for you for you to go spend the night in the lion's den. He tells Gideon, trust me that I've chosen for good when you're going to go into the battle of your life with way too few soldiers at your side. He tells his disciples, trust me that I've chosen the good when I tell you that I'm going to the cross to die. He chooses for the church when he says, trust me that I've chosen for the good when I tell you that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And my friends, for New Community Church, he tells us, to trust Him, that He has chosen for this church the good when He says to us that if you will lift me up, if you will follow me with all of your heart, I will do more through this church than you would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him? Now, you may say it's easy to trust God and God's goodness when He's led us beside green pastures When we're like little sheep laying on our backs, I can imagine this with deep green grass on a warm sunny afternoon, our little feet up in the air going, oh, God is so good, God is so good, it's a beautiful day. But what about the goodness of God when we're being led through the valley of the shadow of death? Because at that same place, God is good. You see, the goodness of God is an overcoming goodness. The goodness of God in our lives is a victory in our lives. That is why, and, and this you don't take anything else away from this, just listen to this one one thing. That is why if we want to see the goodness of God displayed in all of its glory, we don't look to creation. We don't look to Easter Sunday. We don't look to Pentecost, and we don't look to the second coming. If you want to see and understand the true goodness of God displayed in all of its power and glory, we look to an old, rugged cross. It was on that cross, in torture and in brutality and in ultimate death, that the shepherd became the lamb. He chose for us what was good, bore in himself what was evil, and won for us a great victory. That's why over the centuries, the church has always referred to that day as Good Friday. My friends, some of us here this morning, in fact, I would say probably all of us here this morning, are being asked the question, do you really believe that God is choosing for you what is for your good and rejecting in your life what is evil? Do you trust Him? Do you walk with Him every day in that kind of childlike faith? Will you choose to trust Him to give control of your life back to Him and let Him lead you beside still waters? In your life this morning, you see, He is either the good shepherd or He's not. And if He is, then trust Him. And just a brief word about this concept of mercy, loving kindness, or favor. As I said before, the challenge with mercy is that it insinuates that somehow I'm in perpetual need of being forgiven. And you know what? That's exactly right, isn't it? That's exactly right. God's mercy, as defined by the Good Shepherd, is a mercy that is meant to drive out of our lives all sense of guilt, all sense of lack of self-forgiveness, all sense of despair, anything that would keep us from walking joyfully with our shepherd. We need to know that God's merciful forgiveness is always with us because He does not want anybody in this room to spend one second in the distortion to believe that the sin in your life is somehow greater than the love of the shepherd. Some of you here this morning might be struggling with this idea that my sin is so great What I have done is so bad that I'm so far away from God that somehow I can just never come back. The Good Shepherd is here to say, my mercy is yours every single moment. My forgiveness is so close to you, it's as if it were your own breath. Don't leave here this morning believing that somehow your sin is greater than the love of the Shepherd. A third term is this idea of follow me. Russ mentioned last week that the whole 23rd Psalm kind of turns on this idea of the, that the shepherd is with us. I think this is the way in which we understand what that looks like. If you go to Strong's Concordance and look up the Hebrew, which I'm sure most of you did before the service this morning, um, you'll see that this idea of follow me is, is really translated like this it's to pursue, it's to dog. Which is what we see in in Ezekiel thirty-five six, but as Strong says, in a good sense, it's to attend closely upon. And I love this because the idea that 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 this mercy and this grace and this love and this goodness will follow us needs to be seen in this idea that God pursues us, He runs after us, He grabs a hold of us in a way that that only a shepherd will do for a sheep that He loves and will not let stray away c.s lewis i came just love this this quote from c.s lewis i'm gonna read through this with you because it gives us an image of what this looks like imagine a young muscular diver standing on a high cliff overlooking the ocean the diver strips to nakedness then jumps from the precipice he cuts through the surface of the water at a violent speed then goes deeper and deeper The brightly lit waters begin to dim and gradually become dark. Still, he forces his body on until he reaches the bottom, which is murky from centuries of decay. He plunges into the muck and with his outstretched hand grasps the prize that he sought. Then up and up, drawn by the growing light. When he breaks the surface, he opens his palm in triumph. It contains a precious pearl. The terrible dive has changed his body forever. Even his color is different, more like the dark green of the depth. God seeks us. Like that diver, he makes an unimaginable effort. In Christ, he takes our human nature in order to search for the lost sheep, the misplaced coin. In Christ, God seeks you and me. is that a beautiful image? That's... God who will never let you go. Now, from time to time, I don't know about you, but in my life, I've gone through seasons of what I would consider to be kind of spiritual dryness. Anybody been there? I'm probably by myself, aren't I? All right, good. A few other people have been in some spiritual dryness. And what are the terms that we use when we're, when we're going through one of those times? I use words like, God seems so far from me. He's just so distant. I just don't sense God's presence in my life. I, I just don't feel Him close to me. you write to some of that from time to time? Well, I was in one of those times when I came across this quote by Oswald Sanders from this wonderful book called My Soul Thirsts, and it hit me right between the eyes. He says this, "...both Scripture and experience teach us that it is we, not God, who determine the degree of intimacy with Him that we enjoy." We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. Ouch. If we feel distance from God, the question, my friends, is who moved? The Good Shepherd pursues us. He is never farther away than our own breath. If we're feeling distance from God, we need to ask ourselves, what have we done to move away? Because he never moves away from us. David knew this. When talking about, thinking about leaving the 99 sheep and going after the one lost When he has this beautiful uh, text for us in Psalm 139. Listen to this and think about yourself in your relationship to your good shepherd. David says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Paul knew this too. In Romans chapter 5, Paul put it this way, for I am convinced that neither life nor ain't death, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of God's creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that great news? Is that good news for you this morning? Thank you. One last story and then I'll end with, with uh, this last phrase, one of my favorites. Um, I gotta get the date right, though. Like dates, June sixth, eighteen eighty-two. A pastor in Glasgow, Scotland, was sitting in his study um, at the age of forty. When this man was a young man, he was studying for the for the pastorate, getting his masters of divinity, studying in Scotland, and he fell in love with a beautiful woman who he loved dearly. They were engaged to be married, and shortly before the wedding, in a doctor's visit. George Matheson found out that he was going blind. When his fiancée found out, she told him that she could not see herself living her life as the wife of a blind man. And she left him. Crushed him. He finished his studies, became a pastor, and pastored successfully for a number of years. And on June 6, 1882, he's in his study the night before his sister is going to get married. And he relives this crushing moment in his life when this woman, the love of his life, walked out of his life. And as he does, he's overwhelmed by grief and despair, and he picks up his pen, and he writes one of the most beautiful hymns in the Christian church. And it goes like this. "Oh, Oh, love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee, I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promises not vain that morn shall tearless be. That is the heart of our Good Shepherd. It is a love that will not let you go. And then just a word about house of the Lord. This is really, in a sense, a euphemism for the presence of the Lord. When David says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, it does not mean you're going to be sitting in church for all eternity. As fun as that would be, it's not what he means. The presence of the Lord, to be in God's presence... For the rest of eternity is what David is talking about. He goes on to say in two, three psalms later, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. If you read this psalm right into Psalm 24, the 23rd psalm into Psalm 24, it goes right in and talks about the earth is the Lord and all that is in it, the world and all who dwell in it. When we stand in God's presence... We are indwelling in the house of the Lord. My friends, let me ask you at the conclusion of this whole series on Psalm 23, where else would you rather be? I mean, where else in all the world, in all creation, would you rather be than being led by this good shepherd, beside these still waters, in these rich pastures, led through the valley of the shadow of death, where he will anoint your head with oil, lift you up in front of your enemies, protect you with his rod and his staff. Until your cup overflows. That's our invitation. Russ began this whole series by asking two questions Is he your shepherd? And in him do you have everything you need? I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. And then when I'm done, we're going to read the 23rd Psalm again for the last time in this series. Let it seep into your spirit and into your soul. And then Sean and Aaron are going to come up, sing some songs. We're going to take communion. And when you take communion today, see this as an opportunity to draw once again very near to the shepherd who's always very near to you. Let's pray.